We Saved You a Seat is a podcast sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. The Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special needs via emotional support, resource navigation, and ensuring quality health care for all children and their families through strong and effective family partnerships. Hello, everyone. This is Tamara Crabtree with Oklahoma Family Network. I am a guest interviewee today, or I guess I'm the interviewer, aren't I? So um, I'm the interviewer for, and, and my interviewee is Gabby Gifford today. And her and her husband, full disclosure, I met them several years ago um, at a local hospital through the role that I have with Oklahoma Family Network. And I'm super excited to have her with, with us today because she's just become a really good friend and a really great mentor to a lot of moms. And um, so Gabby, I'm just gonna throw it back to you and let you kind of just share about you and Sarandon and, um, and your girls for just a second. So as you said, my name is Gabby and I am married to Sarandon. And we got pregnant with twin girls and we had them at 24 weeks and one day actually. And um, my oldest one is Eliana Rose and our second one is Harper May. And uh, yeah, we have quite the interesting birth and pregnancy story. <laughs> I was gonna say 24 weeks, that, um, that had to have been quite the traumatic delivery to deliver at 24 and one. Um, and then I know that uh, Eliana has a um, kind of a different path than what Harper did. So, so why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So when I was pregnant, I was, I think 14 weeks and six days, my water broke on baby A, which was Eliana. And we actually did not know that's what was going on. Um, and we found out at our gender reveal and anatomy scan at 18 weeks on the dot that um, Eliana's water had been broken. So we actually did not know her gender, um, but we did know that Harper was a girl. And my twins were die-die twins. So they had separate sacs, separate placentas, um, just like having two different pregnancies at the same time. So Harper was safe as far as all of that was concerned, but I was immediately put on bed rest and I had scans every single week um, to basically see if I was getting any fluid back, um, like if it had sealed and also to even see if Eliana was still alive. They had told me pretty much that she probably would not make it to delivery and they were trying to get me to deliver hopefully at 34 weeks but they put me in the hospital at 24 weeks same day that my niece was born actually and the very next day I went into labor and they stopped it for a short amount of time and then I continued to labor and got taken back for my c-section we didn't really know what was going on they never really communicated to us as far as like if Eliana was a girl and if everything was okay. Um, really all we could hear was the beeping of what we now know later on as the incubators beeping and telling us that they're too cold or what their heart rate is and things like that. And so just lots and lots of noise. And yes, Eliana had a different path than Harper for sure. So within the first 24 hours, 
of Eliana's life, they had told us that she was not doing well and asked us if we wanted to take her off of life support. We declined and wanted her to keep pushing and trying and we were just holding out for an even bigger miracle than she already was. Um, the fact that she stayed alive inside me and outside of me for as long as she did is yeah, a huge miracle. Surviving birth, absolutely. Yes, wow. and so at 23 hours and 53 minutes, they called time of death. Um, she had coded at um, almost 11 o'clock, or actually a little after 11 o'clock. Um, she was our 1111 Make-A-Wish baby as far as her birth, and she passed at 1104 the next night. So super late nights. Um, yeah, and so while she passed and while we were planning her funeral, um, we were fighting alongside with Harper, who is still living and is now two and a half. And yeah, so we went through the NICU for 98 days with Harper while also grieving Eliana. 98 days in the NICU with Harper, right? Yes. Wow. Which actually is not very long for a baby at 24 weeks. She came home before her due date, um, but she did come home on oxygen, so. Well, I was gonna say, so, so tell us a little bit about what it's like as a mom having to go into an environment where both babies were at, you know, both babies were there, um, but maybe in, in, in your case, one didn't survive. Tell yeah. us a little bit about some of those emotions that you and Sarandon had um, walking into the place every day where your baby, you know, your baby had died, um, but you were there to fight just as hard for your other one. So yeah. There were days that it hit me and then there were days that it didn't bother me. I'm super grateful for the staff at our hospital because they did move Harper out of the area that they were in together. So we weren't even in the same room or pod or anything like that. So thankfully they had moved into a new environment so that we could, I don't want to really say start fresh, but just make new and happier memories instead of just dragging through and continuing to feel um, all the feelings that came with being in literally just the same room as where her sister passed. And so, cause I mean, yeah, we entered the doors every single day. I still, to this day, two and a half years later, have flashbacks of, um, you know, being rolled in on my wheelchair, you know, to uh, go see what was going on. And actually today marks two and a half years since she passed. Um, so it's just kind of crazy to think that it's been that long cause the memories are just so vivid um, and they probably always will be because we did not have very much time with her. And the whole time that we were with her, I was recovering from a C-section and she was on the oscillator as far as her ventilator goes. And so she was on a paralytic. So she was unable to move or anything like that anyway. So I never saw her. She actually came out with her eyes open, which is also abnormal for a baby at her gestation. So her daddy got to see and take pictures of her with her eyes open, which is one of those little hidden blessings that means a lot to us now, so. Yeah, wow. Whew, that's some heavy stuff. I mean, that's, that is a, a journey that, that most families have not had to walk. So 
you there's a there's a a term that's been coined the twinless twin and so how do you how do you walk with harper um kind of tell us a little bit about how harper knows that she is a twinless twin so tell us a little bit about that that transition i guess for harper so from my experience with just connecting with other families who are in the same position as we are, where they have one child with them and one child who's passed, um, everyone kind of handles it differently. Some people don't like to bring the pain up in a sense. It's too painful for them to bring up. Um, so some kids are either unaware or they just don't know a lot about their twin that passed on. And we are different in that aspect where we have stuff of Eliana all around. We talk about her. Um, we have pictures up of her. We've got her molds of her hands and her tiny little feet. We've got a shadow box. Um, we've got all sorts of stuff as far as like memories of her. Um, who knew you could have so many memories from someone who was so tiny and didn't even live a full day, but we have plenty thanks to our staff mostly. But um, even just the simple thing of like, her middle name was Rose because it's my favorite flower. And so we try to remember for family pictures to always have a rose with us to symbolize and to show that she's still a part of our family, even though some people may forget her or never even necessarily know about her unless they've seen us talk about her. Um, she's still kind of present in our family. And even just a simple thing like, I have a tattoo where one part of it symbolizes Harper and she's literally holding a rose in the giraffe, which is Harper symbol. Um, the giraffe has a little rose in her mouth and to show that they're, they're a set, they're a twin. And we talk about Sissy all the time. And um, yeah, we, when we pray to God, sometimes we'll, you know, tell God to give her a hug and a kiss for us and um, so Harper will always grow up knowing that she had not just a sister, but a twin sister. And there's books and resources out there as well. We've got a book called Always My Twin that as she gets older, we'll read to her. And so that we're open and she knows that we're open for questions and to help her understand. Oh, I, I, I love that. I love how you just incorporated Eliana into your life as a family. And, um, and I, I think that is I just, I think that's pretty sweet and pretty, pretty precious as a family to be able to do that. Um, so why don't you tell us, having a 24-weeker, um, obviously there are things that, she's two and a half now, is that right? Is it, mm -hmm. is it about, so she's two and a half now. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the transitions that you've had as far as, um, I don't know if we want to call it trauma or um, maybe just some of the some of the outcomes that have happened as a result of having a 24-weeker. You know, sometimes I think families think that, um, oh my gosh, you know, they're in the NICU, then they get to a certain weight, then they get out of the NICU, and then life is perfect. And we have these wonderful, healthy, happy babies. And um, sometimes there's these little transition pieces that get us to those healthy, happy babies. And, uh, right. and so I didn't know if you could share maybe some of that and some of maybe some of the therapies and so just some of the things that you do now. Uh, with Harper. Yes. So, you know, a lot of kids, even born at 24 weeks, they catch up with their peers um, developmentally and size-wise. And 
but like those first two years for pretty much any 24-weeker, I feel like are a lot of um, a waiting game just as they grow and you see if they do have any developmental delays or um, even any physical disabilities that you don't know about till later. Um, Harper is one of the happiest and friendliest, smiliest kids ever. Um, but people do not realize that she's two and a half. And like my dad likes to go around when he's around at work and we're at the bank where he works at and he'll ask people how old they think that she is. And the answer is typically around one years old. And he's like, no, she's two and a half. Um, so it's kind of just become not really a joke, but like just a fun, lighthearted thing to where like everyone knows that we've accepted that Harper is who she is. She's going to grow at the rate that she's going to grow. Um, within the last six months, she just started walking just right after her second birthday. Um, okay. So she was delayed in that um, and delayed pretty I want to say significantly with her motor skills, um, but her not walking even close to a typical, you know, full-term baby um, did raise some concerns, and we got referred to physical therapy, and they were great. They got her walking. She started walking right before we moved out to western Oklahoma from central Oklahoma, and so right before we left that current or that former therapy place, they got to finally see her walk on her own. Um, so that was super exciting. And during that time, um, we got referred to go see a neurologist and she did get diagnosed with cerebral palsy. Okay. So it is mild and it is one-sided. It's on her right side. So she, by definition, is disabled to an extent, but hers is definitely mild. Um, but at that same appointment, she did get the official diagnosis of being developmentally delayed. So she's just now really kind of starting to mimic the sounds and words that we make. Um, really within the past month, she's made leaps and bounds in that area and is talking a lot more. Um, she loves her dog and she can now say his name is Bentley. It does not sound like that, but we know what she's saying. <laughs> um, Yes, so she's finally talking now, but it was a long process to that, and because she was on oxygen, um, she officially got off of oxygen around a month before her first birthday, so we were off and on in use with that, um, so that was a transition also, um, looking back and just realizing how long we were still connected to tubes and cords even once we got home. Um, so along with that came pulmonology appointments and um, regular weigh-ins with home health um, just because she was tiny and she still to this day is tiny. And even at two and a half years old, um, you know, the new diagnosis of the developmental delay, the cerebral palsy, and now we're potentially actually looking at a G-tube. Um, that's undecided at the moment. Um, so we're having regular check-ins with GI as well. So there's just all sorts of things, which it's obviously not every single 24-weeker or every single NICU baby. Like everyone has a totally different path and their kid grows and develops in so many different ways that it's hard not to compare to full-term kids, especially when <laughs> her cousin was born the day before. It makes it really hard. 
Um, and her cousin is actually developmentally advanced, which just makes it even harder. But um, I've definitely learned that comparison is the thief of joy when it comes to that, because yeah. Harper is overall very healthy, very happy. She has her issues, but it has not slowed her down one bit. She is super imaginative, super energetic, and always laughing. So she is happy exactly where she's at, and we're happy with her. Oh my goodness, I love it. Harper's just Harper. <laughs> yeah, she is. She's definitely her own little character. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Well, tell me about, did you take advantage of, of some of the services that the state offers, like uh, Sooner Start and, and some of those programs that we have? Are there any any that you you've, would just say, yes, if you're a parent that's taking home a baby from this situation that you would recommend? Is there anything there? Yes. So we are still currently with Sooner Start. And I really appreciate that they, before COVID, would come into our house, really examine her, watch her play, um, ask us questions about anywhere from our family dynamic to things that we think uh, maybe she needs help with or work on. And they either give us exercises, um, talk us through what's you know normal for a baby that may be abnormal in their situation and also just like helping us even navigate with our pediatrician on, you know, hey, is this an area of concern that we should bring up and ask for a referral for? Or um, they're really there for pretty much anything. And we also get to decide how often they see us. And that's also super nice that for a while, we were seeing them every two weeks and they were coming to our house and helping us work on areas that she was really struggling with. Um, and now we talk on the phone post-COVID um, once a month and she helps us come up with creative ideas um, to help with like her language skills and just kind of talk us through that. And as we get closer to the three year mark for her, uh, we will no longer be able to do Sooner Start. So they are also helping us with the transition into um, early intervention stuff with the school system. And so they're helping us from all things really, helping us prepare our IEP, um, introducing us to the teachers and the therapists because she'll be able to get her therapies through the school system, um, things like that. And currently, um, now that we live in Western Oklahoma, we have to drive a little further to get the pediatric therapies and services that she needs. And so we, uh, through Sooner Start, found out about Sooner Ride and we get reimbursed mileage um, for approved visits. And so it really doesn't take that much time to call or get on the computer and make a reservation for that gas mileage reimbursement um, so that we get a little bit of help financially for the long hours that we're in the car. That, I mean, I've always heard there's great services in Oklahoma. You know, it's just making sure that people are aware of them and taking advantage of them and, um, and just know about them. So I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that you've had some great experiences with some of the programs here. So that's, that's neat. I love it. I love it. Um, so I guess kind of my next um, thought, and as you've mentioned COVID and kind of transitioning, 
what are you seeing as, as a parent who has a child that receives services? What are some of the differences that you're experiencing pre-COVID versus uh, now that we have COVID in our midst? Um, have you had to make some transitions? It sounds like you moved right kind of in the middle of all the COVID stuff. And yes. so you've kind of had a lot of transition in life, but um, yes. what would you say were some of the biggest COVID, I don't know, happenings, I guess, in your world? Well, for the first about two years of her life in general, while she was still considered pretty fragile as far as her lungs go with chronic lung disease, um, we had already been isolating or quarantining, if you will, away from people and, you know, trying to stay out of really public places like the grocery store. And we were having to watch church online and not really be able to be really hands-on and active um, in church and in our community. We've always had to be pretty careful with um, who watches Harper when, you know, I have a doctor's appointment and things like that. So it was already somewhat normal, but it also hit at a time where it was so close to spring when COVID hit that we were already looking so forward to being out of cold and flu season and being able to go back to attending church in person. And we were hopeful to be able to put her in the nursery over the summer, which was a huge step for us because she was always with us, always, right. <laughs> um, specifically me. <laughs> And so, you know, some of those dreams and like milestones, if you will, for a baby who has to stay out of the public during sick season, as I call it, um, we didn't get to get to those necessarily. So that was definitely a um, disappointment, really, because um, we had already had to stay so far away from people for the last two years and then continue to do so. Um, but after she hit that two-year mark in the summer and COVID was still going on, we just finally, we talked to her doctors, especially her pulmonologist, and where she was at specifically, her lungs were doing really well. And so we were tired of living in fear because of COVID and other sicknesses. And knowing that she's doing better, we took the leap and when we moved to Western Oklahoma, we started looking for our church um, home, and we found that, and we got brave, and we took her with us, and we started putting her in the nursery. So she is definitely more exposed than she was before, but other than being around family members now that we live near family um, and the church nursery and her therapy, she really doesn't go much of anywhere else other than the grocery store with me. So life is, it's like a transitional phase or like an in-between phase, I guess, for us because we're used to all the hand sanitizer. We were not short on masks when COVID hit and everyone was trying to find them because we already had them stocked up for when she came home from the NICU to begin with. And so we were already in that in-between phase of used to being away from family and friends and just community while also trying to uh, move along with the world and try to find the new normal. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard it said several times that there's really no one more prepared for this COVID season of isolation and kind of removing yourself from, from the community as per se, but um, as a NICU parent is, because yes. we've done so much of that with our babies and making sure that they stay healthy, especially during um, cold and flu and RSV season. Mm -hmm. So 
And um, I think it's definitely uh, opened up the world's eyes to what Nikki parents go through. Um, I mean, we see all over social media and the news about, you know, the, even just the suicide rates, but just how depression has really creeped in on so many people because they've had to stay away, especially the elderly or medically fragile people like our own children, that it's just so hard to be isolated and alone. And the rest of the world is getting to somewhat experience and taste of what we have to go through for long periods of time. Whereas for other people, it was just for a few months and then a couple of weeks here and there after being exposed. Right. <laughs> um, so they're really kind of understanding, even my own family, um, because we lived an hour and a half away from our immediate family. Um, obviously they would call and check in on us and they would visit when they knew everyone was well to their knowledge, but just they kind of, when they got COVID the week we moved to Western Oklahoma, there were two weeks away from staying from us when it was supposed to be a joyous time of being reunited in our same hometown. And so they kind of got a taste of like, we were supposed to be able to get to see our grandkid, you know, like every day. And now we can't for two whole weeks. And those two weeks were so long just because they were already kind of excited and getting used to the fact that we were here. So. Yeah. Wow. That is, that is huge. Oh my goodness. Wow. Well, I am absolutely thrilled um, to have you as a guest today. This, this has been so wonderful. I know that your um, sharing about Eliana and Harper is, um, it's going to touch families. It's going to let people know that, you know, going home with a 24 weeker um, that had a twin and uh, kind of just give a little glimpse into that. Uh, I have a feeling I'm going to be bringing you back for a few more guest um, opportunities to discuss a few other things here and there, um, especially as Harper gets to experience, you know, some of the transition to school and yes. some of the, the, all of those neat transitions that she's about to make as far as uh, mm -hmm. growing up. Uh, and so I, I have a feeling we're going to be making some, some very uh, special, I guess, podcast with you uh, <laughs> do all this so so but thank you so much for joining us today and um do you have anything I, I guess you know the name of this podcast is um uh, we saved you a seat and you know as I kind of sit here and think about the name of the po podcast we saved you a seat um who, who would you or what type of person would you be saving a seat for my heart specifically goes out to families who specifically lost one of their babies and fought or are fighting alongside with their other baby. Um, obviously, there are so many different aspects to our story and Harper's story um, and even Eliana's story, but um, that could go into lots and lots of detail. But um, my one of my favorite things about life now um, even going through all the rotating cycles of grief is just being able to be that person to listen to another twinless twin mom or family. And those same types of people have poured into me as I've gone through what I've gone through. And so being able to just pass it along. I mean, there was an opportunity not long after Harper came home where someone at our same exact hospital from Western Oklahoma also. Um, and now, you know, we reach out to each other and we remember each other's babies and um, it just keeps passing along. Um, 
the chain just keeps extending. And while we would never wish this on anyone, um, when God has that kind of plan for someone, it's nice to have someone that can understand how complex the grief and the fighting is all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautifully and very well said. So I think sometimes we're saving a seat for someone who doesn't even realize um, mm -hmm. that they, they need a seat, you know, or, yeah. or to sit with us. So, uh, so yeah, I, I welcome anybody that would like to come and sit next to you. Uh, that there will definitely be a seat open next to you. So, um, but thank you so much for today. This was so good. I'm so happy we had this time to visit. And, uh, and like I said, we'll be bringing you back for sure for some more podcasts in the near future. So, okay. all right. Thanks, Gabby. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or be in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network by visiting oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405-271-5072.